check. Okay. I'm going to get started. Um, this, my name is Joseph Daniel, and we're going to be talking about marketplace workers, so I want to make sure you're in the right place. Um, before we begin, I'm going to start with a word of, quick word of prayer. Oh Lord, uh, thank you for your son. Thank you for your love for us. And I pray that um, hearts and minds would be drawn to you, and I pray that my words would be yours, and that I could get out of the way of myself, and that this would be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, one of the first things I will teach you um, if you go down this pathway is there's spiritual warfare in technology. Uh, my clicker was working 10 minutes ago, and now it's not, so I'm going to have to stand next to the, my um, slide. So we're going to talk today about the marketplace worker model. So just this is what my goal is, to kind of tell you who I am and why you should listen to me. And then I'm going to define some terms. Um, I think it's important and in order for us to discuss this, and then why I think everyone in this room should consider it, and then little advice on how to do it, and then I'm going to end with a challenge. So, But first off, I do want to be clear on this, that when you talk about theology, when you talk about missiology, it can be people have different opinions. So my hope today, I'm not here to divide there's enough of that as it is. So, But I am going to make some definitions, and if you don't agree with them or you don't agree with my conclusions, I just want you to understand that this is to glorify Christ. We should be united in Christ. I want you to have uh, questions, but please hold them to the end. And because of my location, please don't uh, do any recordings of this. A couple things about this talk. This is not about evangelism or discipleship as a marketplace worker. I can't explain how I do it. Um, this is more about the model itself. It's very country-specific. I've been in a country where there's zero church, like zero church, and then now, right now, I'm in a different country with a bit of an indigenous church, and it's completely different how you do it. So it's kind of country-specific. Um, and then the other question I get is, I work in a Muslim context, and people are like, wow, you're in a closed country. Can you talk about Jesus? Yes. And it's actually easier for me to talk about it probably than for you guys, because in the Muslim context, they believe in absolute truth. They believe that Jesus was a prophet. Um, and they believe um, in God. So in some ways, good luck with America. <laughs> so who I am. So my name is Joseph Daniel. I'm an ER physician by training, trained in the Big Ten. Um, I am a marketplace worker. My family, we've been overseas since 2015. I'm not seminary trained. Um, and I think the, my, one of my goals in this is I am no different than you. I'm just a guy that happens to do it in a different place. And so, at least for me, I became a believer when I was 23, and my ideals of what a missionary was, like, you know, there's missionary, pastor, like, that's, it can't be that way. And then the reason I tell you this is if I can do this, anybody can do this. I don't come from a lineage of this. Nobody in my family went overseas. My grandmother never left the U.S. My mother didn't have a passport until she's 60. Nobody did this in my family. I'm just a normal guy that picked up and went overseas. So the point I want to make from this is if I can do this, anybody can do this. This is my family. Sorry, I'm going to cry. Carl is 13. Sherry is 8. Teddy, uh, Eric is 10. And Shirley is 7.5. She is not 7. And that's my lovely wife, lovely wife, Ruth. So just, I think we sometimes need to lower the bar. I'm an ER doctor that just works in a different place. This is not rocket science. If I can do this, anybody can do this. 
So some definitions for this talk. I do split these up, and I think it's important. Um, I'm going to uh, define a marketplace worker. Sometimes it's a marketplace professional. Different from a tent maker, sometimes businesses' missions, and then the traditional missionary. So the definitions that I use, and these are not my definitions, a marketplace worker, work is your mission. So I sometimes work 60 hours a week. And then the question you get is, well, when are you going to do your real job? No, I get to do 60 hours of ministry a week. And I will tell you, we cannot separate secular from spiritual. It's not going to work. We're not going to finish the job. My, this is my professional motto is um, a marketplace worker is professional excellence with love. And in many of those contexts, and I'm sure this is true in the U.S., if you put those two together, you will blow people's mind. And what do I mean by professional excellence? No Christian mediocrity. Sierra Coop said, if you're going to be a nurse, if you're, going to be a, or if you're going to be a bad nurse, if you're going to be a bad doctor, don't tell anyone you're a Christian. So if you are a nurse, you better have the best um, outcomes on your floor. If you're a surgeon, you better have the lowest complication rate. Part of this ministry is being good at your job, keeping update. So it's a lot of work because you have to be good at your job. Um, a tent maker generally, so where I, I define a tent maker business's mission is different because generally a tent maker, they're using their business as a means to be in, in the country, whereas a marketplace worker, the means of ministry is your work. And then the, you know, the traditional missionary, um, again, they're fully supported. They tend to have better theology, the better language. Marketplace workers, we tend to be self-paid or mostly paid. We tend to have less limited, we have less formal education in sort of theology because it's, it takes a really long time to become a pharmacist, right, or occupational therapist. So we spend a lot of time um, becoming professionally excellent. But here, one of the most important things, and the marketplace worker model works primarily in closed countries, uh, Vietnam and Asia. This is the most important part. In 2021, most of the places that you want to go anymore, you can't get a traditional re- or religious visa. So this is a really, like in the country I was in before, everybody in the country was a marketplace worker. You couldn't get into the country unless you had a legitimate reason to be there. And the interesting thing is, you know what a legitimate reason is? Medicine. So this is a really big deal. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this. If you get 10 of us together, you know, um, missionaries, within a half an hour, we're all talking about our, our visas. Because <laughs> visa is kind of the central centrality to your life. The other thing I really like about the marketplace workers, you get to do what you're good at. If you want to do this long term, burnout is a big issue. And if you spend all of your time doing things you're not good at, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to be good at it. Nobody's going to be around you, and you're going to want to burn out. There is kind of an evangelistic tools that I call coffee shops and parks, and it's legitimate. People go out trying to make this. I call it kind of cold calling evangelism. I know people that are incredible at it. If I had to do that, I wouldn't have lasted three months. The marketplace worker um, model is because if you do your job well, they come to you. So it's just a different method, but it allows you, like if you're, you went to nursing school for a reason, be a good nurse. Spend your time where you're good. And you will, you will last, you will be better, and people will be drawn to it. So one of the faults with the marketplace worker model is you got to go intentionally. A lot of people go overseas. I see this a lot. I'm going to a job. I'm a Christian. I'm going to go make a difference. That's not being a marketplace worker. You have to go into the world intentionally. And what do I mean by that? If you just go overseas and work, which people do, you're just an expatriate. But the point of the marketplace worker model, and this is very important, you go and demonstrate. Um, you demonstrate 
the love of Christ through professional excellence. But here's the clincher and where a lot of people fail, so that you can proclaim. The point is you, you create an environment where people come to ask you questions. And very often where this model fails is people don't do this. Now, the demonstrate is very important to live amongst them. I'm not going to say that, but you have to be ready. And I know med- this kind of freaks medical people out, right? We didn't go to seminary. I don't know how to do this. And actually, it's probably not that hard. And I'm guessing to some degree you might be doing it already. But that's it. That's the marketplace model. It's not rocket science. Take your job. Go somewhere else. Bring your family. You don't often have to do fundraising. And you get to do what you're good at. And if you're good at what you like to do, people will naturally be drawn to you. And if you do it with the love of Christ, they will be drawn to you. Um, I'll get to it. I I will talk a little bit about uh, sending organizations, mission organizations, and churches later on. But those are also very important to this model. And that's it. That is what being a marketplace worker is. You use the gifting that God has given you. You get a job. Go overseas. I'll give you an example. Um, My team leader is an electrical engineer who works for Garmin. He works remotely 10 hours a week. I know a guy who got a uh, software engineer, got a job with Microsoft so that they would put him in Jordan. I know a guy that is a mechanical engineer, got a job with John Deere so that they would put him in India. That's the model of the marketplace worker, using your gifting so you can go to some places that the traditional missionaries can't go. So one of the other questions I often get is, is this biblical? Is there a biblical model for marketplace worker? And there is, but I think most of us are familiar with the idea of tent making. Right? We, we name that kind of after Paul, but there's lots of examples of it. The fully funded missionary, well, of course, Jesus. He was the ultimate missionary. But there's a lot of this John did at the old Levitical old system in the Old Testament. So I often get this question, is this, is this biblical? Well, it's really interesting. Probably the first evidence of uh, marketplace workers is in Acts 8. So if you're not familiar with this story, Christianity was breaking out. Um, Stephen uh, basically made the the Sadducees and the Pharisees look bad. And so Saul had him stoned. Now, it's interesting. Here's the result. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And I always have found this fascinating, all except the apostles. So the professionals, the seminarians, they stayed. All the, all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, all except. But it's interesting, later on in the Bible, suddenly we start to hear about all these churches. Where did they come from? How did that happen? Marketplace workers. Carpenters, plumbers. They just they, they took their family, they took their jobs, and they, they planted churches all over the world. And we don't know who they are. But I can tell you, as, a, as someone who really values this, I can't wait to meet these people in heaven. And actually, for those of you, if you've ever taken sort of the Perspectives course or Coros course, the vast majority of the world has done, that's, this is the normal model. They, get, they take their work because they can't afford, there's no culture, very few cultures that can afford to pay other people full-time ministry. Most of the world, this is the only model that's available to them. So, again, unity in Christ. I'm not saying if you want to go some other way. I can tell you, I'm in the field right now, and the number of missionaries that are out there, the table's pretty bare. I don't care how you get out there. All the models are valid. But I think this is, I think specifically in North America, at least in my mind and what I've seen, we've probably spent too much time uh, raising up traditional missionaries. But that said... I'm not against it. I need great language. I need great theology. Um, but I think maybe, and I can tell you going forward, I think this is probably going to be the way that most of the world is going. 
So why should you go as a marketplace worker? I think this is really important. So if you're not familiar with this, this is what's called the 1040 window. The areas in red, all that means is there's no church. And at least for me as a medical missionary, I think it's important to understand that this is not about poverty or relief work. Now, certainly parts of that area are poor, but as a medical person, that's where the disease is. There's no, there's no church there. And the interesting thing is traditional missionaries generally often can't go to these places, but you know who can go? You guys can all go. So, and if, it, if you look at why a lot of these places are not Christian, well, there's a lot of reasons for it. It's very far away, different culture, different language. I'm on the wrong time zone. But a lot of these countries are closed to an overt Christian presence. Most of those countries are. And there's a reason for it. It, it. It's not like they're in a vacuum. There's Hinduism there. There's Islam there. There's communism, atheism. But you guys can go. And when I tell people, people ask me why, I'm, why I am where I am. You know why? Because I can go. That's it. There are so many people that want to go that can't go. My wife and I actually were planning on going to kind of southern Africa. But when I started to learn about how hard it is, how unserved these areas of the world are, I'm like, uh, no, we're going to go there. Um, so I know a lot of, I get strange, people look at me like, that's it? Yes, that's it. You can go. This is a really, really big deal. You can get a visa. Traditional missionaries can't go. And as it is, the rejection rate for this area of the world is very, very high. But Western-trained medical people, we can go. These places are so massively underserved. Nobody's going. People who want to go can't go, but everyone in this room, if you're medical, can go. And at the end of the day, and I know I said that there is more to it than just being there, but you have no idea how important it is that you guys have visa skills. I know we think about language and evangelism and all these other skills. Those are important. Don't get me wrong. This is stuff that's important. But if you can't get into the country, it doesn't matter. You have the ability to get into the country. And I'll give you an example. I got a friend, great language, went to seminary. This guy's a cross-cultural triple black belt. Okay? In my context, I got into a country. I took care of the king's brother. He could have been in that country. Well, he couldn't get into the country for one. But I can tell you in 30 years, being in that country, if he was there for 30 years, he would never get near the king's brother. I mean, you have been gifted such a great blessing. You have visa skills. Another reason. When we were in the field, we're doing some language things right now, but when we were at our, our last country, we're actually going back into this area of the world, we were supporting seven other missionaries while we were in the field because I was getting paid. How many of you have uh, school debt? What if, and rather than taking out of MedSend, you could add to it? It's a, well, the other thing, too, is, again, I'm not against the traditional fundraising model, but, um, and I don't want to make this generational, but could I, the millennials, could you raise your hand? So how, how, how are you guys doing financially? Not so good, huh? The overall giving to, to missions is going down. The, the pool is shrinking. I'm sorry, are you going to post that picture somewhere? Yeah, please. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Sorry about that. But, so rather than pulling out of the funds, you could be adding to it. 
So, again, like, it, when I, I've often thought, maybe I'm not being effective in where I am, but I'm helping other people. One of the other things, too, that I bring up, and again, remember unity in Christ. All right? I'm not here to, if you are going after poverty alleviation, that is absolutely biblical. Um, but the reality is, part of the reason this area of the world is so unserved, I'm convinced, is because we as medical missionaries don't think this way. So think in your own mind. Where do we go on medical missions trips? Where, give me a country. Somebody. Guatemala. Haiti. My best friend was in Haiti for 20 years. He had to pull out because of the UN. If you want to go to Haiti and serve there, it's an incredible humanitarian crisis. I'm not saying don't do this, but why do we never go to Qatar? Have you ever thought about that? Qatar is a fascinating country. It is one of the richest countries in the world. And I know personally that there's, there's basically almost zero Qatari believers, and there's basically no missional presence there. And I think part of the reason we don't do that is because we don't think like that. And as kind of, I don't know if you heard me say last night, at least for me, I became a believer when I was 23, so I was very naive. I assumed to be a medical missionary, you have to live in a tent, pee in a hole in the ground, and take chloroquine. But what if you could live in air conditioning, drink the water out of the tap, and order MRIs? The deal with these people, they're so unreached. These are one of the most unreached people groups in the world. I, I get it. The people in Haiti, they're dying. And I, I get it. But the people in Qatar, they're going to hell, but they're just doing it in air conditioning. So we don't tend to see that. So my thing is, you know, if you take 100 medical missionaries, most of us are going to do relief work, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. My thing is, can we pull off a couple, one to two, and go to some of these areas of the world, some of the most unreached people groups? And I'm convinced part of the reason we don't see them is because they're rich. And I'll give you another example. I have a friend that's working in this area of the world. Most of our models, we come from a position of power. In his context, this guy's an ER physician, he can't, and he's getting paid. He can't afford to live near them. And he said, basically, unless I'm driving a Bentley, they won't talk to me. Now, what seminar have you ever heard that? But because he's an ear doctor, he can shoot in like lightning and make relationships because rich people get sick too. And he's been able to use that as a, we, as a means to reach uh, this, this people group. So I just never thought about that. But again, I'm not trying to say don't go to Haiti and Guatemala. The other thing, too, and I just tell this as kind of a how we as Christians think, we spend more money on our Halloween costumes for our pets than we send to the unreached world. So one other kind of thing why I ask people is this idea of a call. And I know there's whole seminars on the call. But here's the thing I will tell you about a call to missions. I think be very, very careful how you think about this. I've seen people use it as a noun, as a verb, my call, your call, blah, blah. So here's the reality, and I think this is important. There is a call, but it's from God. You respond to that, but don't. the, the call is not yours. And so I think it begs the question, what is your default? Have you ever thought about this when it comes to a call, your call? This comes from you know, Matthew 28. There's other examples, but in the Great Commission, I learned this about 10 years ago, and again, when you ask people why I'm overseas is when I learned what the Great Commission actually means in the original Greek. So it's, you know, go therefore and make disciples. But in the original Greek, the emphasis is on the making disciples, not the going. So in English, an example would be, when you go to the store, get eggs. 
it's assumed you're going to go. So my question for you is, what is your default? Have you ever thought about this? Are you, in your heart of hearts, your default is I'm staying, but I need a special call, a fleece, a burning bush moment to go. I'm not sure that's biblical. I think your default should be, I am going. I need a special reason to stay. So that, you don't, it's just a question to think about at home. What is your default? So, okay, let's say you don't believe that. Okay, fine. Then what would it look like for you to go? And specifically, what are your burning bush moments? What, if you need a specific call to go, what are you looking for? Well, I'll tell you my three. These are my three burning bush moments. So, I'm an American citizen, and I'm not trying to be ethnocentric against non-Americans. But if you have a Western passport, and if you're an American, we represent 4% of the world's population, 50% of the world's wealth. You're not a 10%er. As an American, you're a 0.1, percenter. So that was number one. I was born an American in the 70s. My burning bush moment number two is at 23, I became a Christian. I got pulled out of the muck into the family of Christ. And as David Platt says, and this was condemning for me, that we love all the benefits of Christianity, but there are some responsibilities. Now, to be clear, I work in a... <laughs> I work in the Muslim context. This is not a works religion. I also like what David Platt says, that we are saved from the damnation of good works so that we can do good works. So because I'm a, a Christ follower, this is we're called to go. And my third one was when I got into medical school. If you put American Christian doctor, if you put Australian Christian nurse, if you put American Christian pharmacist, if you put those together, Relative to the world, you have been blessed. You are not a 10%er. You're not a 0.1%er. You're a 0.1 of a 0.1 of a 0.1%er. You are a unicorn on water skis being pulled by the Loch Ness Monster. But the problem is you're surrounded by this. I'm an American Christian doctor. A lot of my friends are American Christian doctors. If you're an American Christian nurse, a lot of your friends are American Christian nurses. You don't see it because you're surrounded by them. But relative to the world, you have been blessed so much. And at least for me, I felt like when it dawned on me, God was screaming at me. He's like, I made you an American. You're a doctor. And you're my son. What else do I have to say? So it may be that you don't have to pray about this. Maybe it's already been answered. Like when you got into nursing school, and for me, when it dawned on me, I stopped praying because it, it had been answered 10 years ago. And it's just something to consider with regards to the call. Maybe you can stop praying. So that's why I think you can go, or should do this, is because, number one, you can. And that's a really big deal in this day and age. You could potentially pay your own way, help others that aren't in these kind of contexts. Medical missionaries in general, we don't do this. So again, I'm not saying don't go to Haiti, but if you don't know what you want to do, if we could just peel a couple of you off, I mean, I was in a country of 32 million. There were two doctors and six nurses. A country of 32 million, one of the most unreached countries in the world. So those are kind of some definitions. So then how to go, and this is very important because we've also seen people crash and burn, and I don't want you to crash and burn. One of the issues you run into, and with all the organizations, if you get 10 of us together, we're all going to argue about this, but you, there, is this, there is this tension between willingness to go and being prepared to go. Sometimes people say, i got a job, I'm going. And maybe in the right circumstance, that's okay. 
But a lot of times, if you're going to choose to do this, you're going to need some training. So some general tips and thoughts. There are some things that you're not going to need training on. Yes, this is a Christian conference. And yes, I'm going to quote Woody Allen and Hillary Clinton. In this context, this idea of demonstrating, literally just showing up, and this is where I go back to the visa, this is a huge, huge deal. To live amongst them, you have no idea their ideas of Christianity. So much of the world, the unreached world, is rejecting a false vision of Christianity. I'm okay if you're going to reject Christianity, but I want you to understand what you're rejecting. And you've probably seen this, but I know this is a number. And you've probably seen this before, but when you meet them and look them eye to eye, you're just like, these people have never shook a Christian's hand. They've never been in their house. And just literally living amongst them, um, the impact you can have is incredible. And the thing is, too, at least for me as a missionary, I thought I was going to have to do all these wild things, but the reality is you're probably doing a lot of this right now. And one of the problems is you don't necessarily see it. So, for example, if you ever, you ever go into a cave and, and, like on a, and they shut all the lights off, and then the guy lights a match. You can be that match in some really, really dark places, but part of the problem is in America, you're often surrounded by spotlights, so you're not realizing necessarily the impact you're having. You can be a very, very small light in a really dark place, and they will notice. This is kind of what it looks like. Um, A lot of it is is absolutely living amongst them. Um, I'm an ER doctor. It's a really big deal to show up on time. Actually, 15 minutes is on time. On time is late. I was the only guy in my group of 30 that's, that turned up on time. So I, that was just a statement that I, showing up on time, it's integrity. Um, I had a, a friend that if you ever drive any of these areas of the world, definitely some of your not great moments come out. But I've worked really hard to be a kind driver, and I was riding with a friend, and he, he said to me, he's like, you don't cuss, you don't cut people off. He said, how is it that you can drive so, you know, and not get road rage? And I, I fail at that more than I succeed, but um, whoever thought of driving as a ministry tool? Um, marriage, this is a big deal. I'll tell you an interesting story. I'm changing all the names. But I, so in the country where I was in, and this just is an evangelistic tool, I, I find this so fascinating, so my friend Alan was like me. He'd been working with Muhammad for about eight years. Muhammad had heard the whole um, gospel story, wasn't interested, but he'd been friends with him. And then Muhammad got married, moved away. Two years later, so now we're ten years into this relationship, and when Muhammad got married, he dropped Alan. Like, Alan was kind of sad. Two years later, Muhammad comes back, middle of the evening, knocking on the door unannounced, and he's like in tears. And he said to Alan, please teach me how not to beat my wife. He said, that's all I ever saw. And he said, I watched you and your wife, and you love her. And I would see you guys have conflict, but you never hit her. Teach me how to not beat my wife. And whoever thought, and that they're watching, so that just demonstration, all the things that he had proclaimed, Alan, the guy didn't get, but he was watching their marriage. And it's true of single people. Like They don't often know specifically what to do with single women. And so your singleness being okay with that has a huge impact on women. So there's just a lot of things that you're doing probably right now that you're not realizing that can be very impactful in these places. What it is not initially, and I think this is why some people choose not to do this, 
It's not perfect language. It's certainly not handing out Bibles. You can't do that. And it's not arguing. I like, I don't know if you know this, but basically nobody ever comes to faith through apologetics. Um, or at least through arguments. I wouldn't necessarily, but I was kind of like, I don't know how to do this. You will have so much impact if you are a godly person just amongst them. And at the end of the day, I used to say, like, they didn't, like, they don't want me there, but they tolerate my Christianity because I'm a doctor. And so I force them to daily face Christ. So those are kind of some, can we hold them until the end, please? Um, those are just kind of some general tips that you can't have a massive impact just living amongst them, but you got to be amongst them. A couple things. This is very, very full stop if you take anything away from this. Do not go alone, and I don't mean like single or married. You need a sending organization and you need a church. If you go by yourself, you will get weird or you'll get crushed. It never ends well. You need, so first off, I think it's really important to have a church. And I know this is hard for us because we move around a lot. But if you can get a church, they become your spiritual home. My organization requires 100 daily prayer partners. Almost all of them come from my church. And that's one of the benefits of an organization. Do you think I would have gone and got 100 daily prayer partners on my own? But I had to. And then I got in the field and I'm like, oh, yeah, I need prayer more than money. So dig deep into your church. Ask them, you know, should I go? Do you think I'm ready? These are the people, if they know you, can kind of be a sounding board. Um, Yeah, they become the family. And I can tell you the longer I'm in the field, the more important my, my church is. Um, they love us. We have a wonderful church. We have relationships, but they become your spiritual home. We've had issues where if something comes up bad, I can be on signal, and I know basically almost any time of the day, at least 30 people will immediately start praying for me, and they're all for my church. Okay, sending organizations. This was my response. <laughs> Medical people were very driven, were very individualistic, okay? But... I know you got through pharmacy school, nursing school, but you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. These are just examples of what a, sometimes they're called mission agency sending organizations. Um, I don't necessarily, I'm not trying to imply that one is better than the other. I put these up here because I've worked with them and I know them. If you have a good sending organization, great. But I, um, I'm with Chris Starr. I've worked with all these other people. Um, I think they're all really great. I would make the argument the most important thing, more important than where you go, your people group, is your sending organization. This is a full stop. Like, go to these places, get on a plane, talk to them in person. What is their theology? What are they doing? This is really, really important. Um, I'm going on my third country. Okay? My people group have changed. But the constant in it has been Christar, and we would not have made it without them. So one of the important things about sending organizations... Um, And to give you a sense, oh, just so you know, they're not going to know what to do with you. They're getting better. I came into the system in 2012, and they so for example, we looked at 15 organizations. Eight of them, after our initial application, said, "No, we can't use you." I was like, "What?" Well, they're like, "You're just a doctor. You don't need our money. You didn't go to seminary, and you don't have language." So just understand, it's not that bad anymore. And all the organizations that I know do a really good job with Marketplace Worker, but they're still kind of like, they just kind of don't know what to do with us. Okay, so just be aware of that. Um, Specifically with my company, if you have issues with it, then come complain to me because I'm the one that's trying to create it. (laughs) But one of the reasons you shouldn't go alone without a sending organization, and this, this data is from the IMB, they found 
And this is basically true in the unreached world. They said the Muslim world. I can't believe this isn't true in the Hindu world. But they said that workers require ten times the member care of those. Basically, if you work in the unreached world, you're going to require about ten times the member care of those in the, un, the reached world. So then the question you have to ask yourself was, what is member care? I like to think of it this way. This is my analogy. If you choose to go down this path, you're kind of signing up to be an F-18 pilot. Everyone knows an Air Force or a Navy carrier. Um, we think about the pilots. We think about the planes. You're kind of going into spiritual warfare. And you're probably, you're kind of going to be like one of these pilots. But here's the reality. There's 200 pilots on the ship. There's 5,400 support personnel. Member care is somebody back home sweeping the floor for you. And to take the analogy a little bit farther, if you want to fly F-18s, you can't just go to an airport and say, I want to fly F-18s. You have to join the Navy. If you want to do this, you have to have a sending organization. Member care, this is just an example. So a lot of us don't have great missions training. They'll, they'll train you on that. But really, really important things is, a good one is team dynamics. So I don't know if you know this. You know the number one reason why people come out of the field? It's poor team dynamics. And I'll give you another real great one. One of the most unstable teams, or I shouldn't say unstable, it's just really challenging, is a married couple with a single person. That's a very challenging team to be on. How do you do that? How do you navigate that? So this kind of teaching you team dynamics. Security, okay? What VPN should you use? What is a VPN? If you choose to go in some of these places, you have to be very conscious of security. So there's a lot of training. We have a guy that came out of industry, and it's really nice. I can just outsource my brain to him. He came out of, uh, he was a subcontractor for the NSA. And like, for example, when we did our last prayer magnet, I sent him, you know, versions of it. And he's like, nope, can't do that. I sent him like 10 versions before I finally got it right. If I hadn't had him, I would have screwed it up massively. But I didn't, and I, you can't keep up on this stuff. Imagine trying to keep up on medicine, how hard that is. Security is changing all the time. We have a guy, that's all he does. So it's really, really important to have this behind you. Accountability, that's also important too. Um, who's going to love on you? Who's going to pray on you? Who's going to help challenge you? If you go by yourself, you'll get weird, you'll get crushed. You need to, you will be standing on the shoulders of giants. So pick your sending organization really well. Spend a lot of time on it. And at the end of the day, yeah, who's going to, well, who's going to be there to cheerlead you when you succeed? Because I can tell you in some of these places, you have very few victories. But who's going to be with you to pull you out? With regards to the difference between a home church and a sending organization, sending organizations give specialized mission training. And what do I mean by that? So if I go back to my church, the church loves me. But I say to them, how do I raise children in a Muslim, uh, Muslim environment? They can't help me. That's where the sending organization comes in. Now, if you went to a church like this, maybe your sending organization and the church could be the same, but generally you're going to need both because most churches in America don't know how to do cross-cultural things. And it's not their fault. So again, yeah, it's just kind of member care. This is all the stuff that never ends up on a prayer letter. This is boring stuff. It's insurance. It's evacuation. It's retirement. Um, logistics. Taxes. You have no idea how many missionaries have gotten just in huge trouble with the IRS if you don't know what you're doing. You're going to need this. But yeah, have you ever heard a prayer letter where they talk about their taxes? If you do this, this is important. This stuff will make or break you. So again, these are just kind of, uh, I'm not saying go with any one of them. These are just examples, and I think they do a good job. All of these do a pretty good job with the marketplace worker model.
So, and this is kind of how it should look. You are sent, I am sent and commissioned by my church, but kind of in the communication and um, is Christar. So Christar talks to my church, my church talks to Christar, they're in the communication, and, and our ultimate fitness, we are commissioned by our church, but Christar also has a big point, part of that. So that, that you, that's how it should look, ideally. Okay, some other final things too, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly. But in the marketplace worker, market. Don't forget the market and marketplace worker. One of the reasons I bring this up is um, I work with some recruiting companies, and I've looked at a lot of resumes if you come into my area of the world, and it's not been good. So, anything bother you about that slide? Okay, resumes. Okay, did your thoughts of me drop a little bit? Okay, when it comes to resumes, understand this is not a one-night thing. Probably two months, minimum of 30 people look at it. I, I saw a service. You can ha- There's a service for 100 bucks to help you do your resume or CV. This is really important. I have seen just some atrocious resumes. Formatting off, typing errors. Most people say that your resume has about 7 to 10 seconds. That's it. And, it, and I can tell you, if they see an error, bye. So just be very, you know, like if you're a nurse, go to HR. What should your resume look like? If you're, you know, you need to know what the format is for your industry. Um, go to, if you're in school, go to admissions. What, you know, what is a resume, what does a good resume look like? Now, um, the other things too is this is not really a time to be humble. I know as Christians we can be this, but there is a market in this. And generally you are coming from a position of power because you're a Western trained but just understand that good resume highlight what you've done. Now, a couple things. A couple things that you need to know up front is overseas. They're going to ask you questions that they won't ask you in the U.S. They're generally going to want a picture. They're going to want to know your marital status. They're going to want to know your religion, and they're going to ask some very invasive medical questions. Uh, specifically, you have to be vaccinated for COVID, and they're usually going to ask HIV, Hep B, Hep C. Some places. We'll ask for your height and weight because they calculate their BMI, and if you have a BMI over a certain point, you can't get into the country. So just be aware that they're going to ask some really invasive questions. That's normal most of the world. Okay, inappropriately emissional resume. Remember, in the marketplace worker, and this is primarily in close countries, and right now pretty much the old marketplace worker is kind of the Middle East, Vietnam, and China. They're all close countries. So I just warn you for this, if you've already got this on your resume, it's okay. But just understand some things may, you may be able to get in clinically, but not if you have seminary, missions training. Um, Just be very careful about putting on your resume. Your visa will get denied. So what that means is you are clinically acceptable, probably maybe the top candidate, but they won't hire you because you went to seminary or they won't hire you because you did formal language training. And I'll give you a, this is a real-world example. So in my country, um, there was a gentleman. He ran a, uh, the microbiology lab for a huge system in, in New England. Got a PhD. His resume was unbelievable. Two years before he was going to come into our country, he took two years off to learn Arabic. And the question you have to ask yourself is, why would an English speaker Westerner do this? 
And how did he pay for it? Now, the interesting thing, he applied to 15 hospitals in, in my country. He only got one response, and it was from a Filipino Christian that worked in HR. And she said to him, if I hire you, I will get fired. You are a spy or a missionary. So, um, just be, be very careful about what you put on your um, resume. In general, they don't like gaps more than three months. Generally, the last two years are the most important. And if you, so, you know, to some degree, like if you did seminary 15 years ago, it's probably less of an issue. Um, but if you do these formal things, like if you go to seminary, is there something else like, could you do uh, work as a nurse? Is there some way that if, I don't some way to make your resume look less missional. Does that make sense? And the other thing, I just want to forewarn people that there may be countries you want to go to and you may not be able to go to. That's okay. If you persist, I can guarantee you'll get in somewhere. So just be strategic. If you haven't got big things on your resume now, just be strategic about how you, if you want to do the perspectives course, if you're going to take the radius course. Um, the radius course, are you guys familiar with the radius course? It's a intensive evangelistic tool that they do in Mexico. It's through Francis Chan, I think. It's really, really good, but it's 10 months long. And so that becomes a real problem for marketplace workers. What are you going to put on that resume? I mean, if you put radius on your resume, you're done. They're not going to let you in. So it's just things to think about for your resume. Um, Don't have a a good resume, and don't make it inappropriately um, missional. Now, on social media, this is a whole lecture. My recommendation for you, if you're interested in this, shut down your social media right now. Because you have to have a social media presence and start a new one. And then kind of, if you can go back, different email, because if you're putting mission trips, like social media, and this is true in, this, in the secular world, um, this can destroy you. Mission trips, all this other stuff, if possible, if you can create a new account, go forward and sterilize it. And then if you can go backwards and sterilize it. So just be careful. What you, if you want to go into these places, just be careful what you put on social media. Be, post, be careful what you put on LinkedIn. Um, these are important things to have, but you have to be strategic about it. And these guys can help you with it over here with Scatter if you have questions about it. Okay, here's my challenge. I'm sure you've heard this before. But I will tell you, having been out at the sharp end of the stick, there's very few people there. And we need more people. And the reality is most people think we could finish the Great Commission in this generation, but you know who's going to do it because of those countries in red? It's not going to be the professionals. It's going to be people in the room. We're the only ones that can go. Western-trained, white-collar engineers, uh, uh, pilots, and medical people. It's on us. So if you don't know where you want to go, consider going to some of these places because, like I said, they're some of the most unreached countries in the world and they're the least served countries in the world. I like to think, maybe, if you agree with me, I've already shown you three reasons that maybe God has answered why you should go. Maybe there are some things, this is a John Piper thing, there are some things in life we don't have to pray about. Maybe you don't need to pray about anymore whether or not you need to go. Maybe you got answered five years ago when you got into nursing school. Because we can go. And quite frankly, we are some of the elect few that can go. Relative to the rest of the world, you have been blessed so much and you're so rare. We're the only ones that can do this. I do think, as I said, we, uh, we have this unique time in, uh, because of the way the world is right now, we could finish this. And I always like this, you know, I work in a works religion, Okay. 
But I do think we have a lot of faith, but do we have obedience and faith? And as I said before, we are saved from the damnation of good works. Don't go for the good works. We're saved from the damnation of good works so that we can do good works. I'd like to tell my grandkids that we did it. Well, and for what it's worth, I don't know if you know, if we finish a Great Commission, Jesus comes back and it's all over. That's, I don't know if you know that, but that's, <laughs> he links his return to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So if you want to like go to heaven, let's get going on this job. <laughs> so that's my challenge, but I think it's important to end on this. I love this quote from John Stott. Here lies the supreme missionary, and I put in the word Christian. I, I don't think it should just be missionary, but here lies the supreme Christian motivation. It is neither obedience to the Great Commission. I know, I just said, right? Obey the Great Commission. No, that's not why you go. Compassion for the lost or excitement over the gospel. But for the zeal of the honor of the Christ's name, no incentive is stronger than the longing that Christ should be given the honor that is due his name. If you do this, you are not alone. God is so much bigger. He loves you so much more. This is what we were created for. And, you know, I've been mobilizing for a long time. And when I first started this, I was kind of, to tell you the truth, I was a little angry with Americans that we weren't doing this. But the longer I've been in the field, I'm sad. This is what we were created for. It's not easy, but you don't go alone. This is why we were put on the planet, to reflect the glory of Christ, to honor his name. And I have a lot of, I mean, I'm an ER doctor. I have a lot of friends, big houses, and make a lot more money than me. And I'm sad for them from the bottom of my heart. But it took me going overseas to feel that way. So I just, I've kept this picture up. This is uh, my son, one of our first trips. 36 hours in transit, made it all the way to baggage claim. He lay down on the floor and just lost it. And he cried till we got to the car all the way till we got back to our house. He cried like 45 minutes. So this is one of the benefits. If you do this, you get to feel like this. So um, These are some resources. I think a great place to start is Scatter Global. They're all sitting over here. They are not a sending organization. They are a marketplace work. They, they, they will enable you with trainings. They will push you to organizations if you're like, okay, I, I have, this is too much. Go to them. They can walk you through the many, many steps. And if you have an organization, go with them too because they can also walk you. I think Scatter is a great book to start with. These are great books. If you're at the point where you can get a, get a job, I think there's a recruiting company. And if you're not familiar with this website, Ask a Missionary. Fantastic website. You can lose like a weekend in it. Any question you can ever think of has already been answered. Questions? Oh, actually, so can I, one, I'm guessing, so I didn't go into evangelism, and I know one of the common questions is what does this look like? Can I give you an example of what, so I think most of you probably understand the demonstrate, but what, how do you proclaim? I'll give you a really quick example, and you can do this at work right now, and I hope that if you're, it's really actually quite easy. So um, one of the, I'll tell you, in the Muslim context, very often the way a Muslim comes to Christ is they have a short encounter with a gospel truth, then they have a dream and vision, and then they go find what they call a person of peace to explain that vision. So if you go into this area of the world, especially the Muslim world, like I live in the Old Testament, like Saul's conversion totally makes sense to me because when you get, like I worked with some un, 
an unreached people group amongst the believers, they would get together and they'd all say, when did Jesus come to you? So what you can do as a marketplace worker, you can be a part of all three. So one of the things we do, we pray every week that Muslims would have dreams and vision. And you can do that right now. I know it doesn't make any sense, but it, I've seen it. This is how it happens. Not always, but they have dreams and visions. So dream, pray that Muslims have dreams and visions. So that you can be a marketplace worker and just do that. To demonstrate, become a person of peace. A person of peace is basically known as a godly person, That a person of peace that is joyful, they're not going to blow up in your face. So I work, and that's kind of that demonstrate. So you work to become a person of peace. And if you're known as a person of peace, so then the, the first part is this gospel truth. Some people call it gospel threads. And then the idea is you give them a very quick nugget that kind of blows their mind. And I'll give you an example. So I was, I was talking to my friend Nasser, and in Islam, one of the biggest sins is this thing called shirk. And it's this idea that you're tripping something to Allah that is not, it's kind of like idolatry. And so we were going back and forth, and he's saying, oh, you know, and they think we're polytheists because of the Trinity. Um, and so I said to him, hey, look. I said, we, we can't do shirk either. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, hey, do you want to know what the Bible says? So on my phone, I have an Arabic Bible. In the country I'm in, it's actually illegal to have an Arabic Bible, but because of technology, I just pop up my phone and I say, hey, I take him to Exodus, show him the first three of the, the old te- the Ten Commandments, that you, know, you can't have uh, no God, no idols, and don't take my name in vain. And he read that in Arabic, and it's always interesting to watch a Muslim read a Bible in Arabic because they think it's going to be the Quran. I've had them like drop the phone because they're like, oh, this is the Bible in Arabic. But I had him, so I quickly get him into the Bible. And when he got done, he was like, so you guys don't shirk either? And I'm like, no. And so that quick little nugget, you could, that whole thing took less time to do than I just, for me to explain it. So in your own work, I'm always listening to, you know, what are the topics? Like a big one, like, okay, someone's stealing sandwiches out of the break room fridge. What does the Bible say about stealing? And people say, oh, they're complaining someone stole. Oh, well, if you're known as a person of peace, do you want to know what the Bible says about stealing? And then quickly, I don't have anything worthwhile to say, so as quickly as you can, try to get them into the Bible. And, you know, if you do it in another language, you know, you have to know, and it takes a little work, but just pick two, uh, two things in your, in your office. And you, I bet you already know what they are right now, right? What does the Bible say about? That's a very quick way, so you, you get them in a gospel tea truth, a very quick encounter, pray for dreams and vision, become a, per, a person of peace. That's generally a very effective marketplace worker model. And you can do it at work. I did it all the time. Any questions? Are we doing for time? Question. Yes, ma'am. Um, having to do with medical nursing licensure in, in the countries where you've gone or countries you might suggest, has, how, how, how difficult is that? How, so that is so okay. I, uh, any DOs in here? Right now, most of these countries don't accept DOs. Do you know? Does Vietnam take VO, DOs? Okay. So this is a changing, like it's different from even three months ago. But in general, this model does work in kind of a select few countries. Maybe like 10. But that number goes up and down based on countries. But in general, most of these countries just accept you as a... Like in the country that I'm in, they just wanted my medical license and my board certification. So you didn't have to go through a further testing or further... 
No, but in some places you do. It's very country specific. So sometimes you might have to, but I haven't had to. And yet, um, PA, PAs are kind of, are there any PAs in here? Probably doesn't work. Really sorry. But they just started, a lot of the countries just started accepting nurse practitioners in like 2018. Um, so a lot of this is fluid and changing, and if you're a ways out, I wouldn't say that you can't do this, but um, DOs sometimes have issues, PAs sometimes have issues. Yes? You had mentioned not to put any of your trips on Facebook or whatever. I have a uh, practice website where we list uh, things that we've done to serve others. If you take out the evangelical aspect of it, don't they expect us, if we're going overseas as Christians, to serve Yeah, that's a really good question, and I think... You know the specifics. I think these scatter guys can help you with. But in, so yes, they so they expect us to be Christian. So, but what they don't like is mission trips. Um, they don't like, you know, that you're going to try and convert someone to a different worldview. So, kind of missional things, not not Christian things, if that makes sense. Yes. So team is really important. So um, in a lot of these countries, because uh, the only way you can get in is as a marketplace worker, most of the big organizations don't have enough people to make their own team. So we all – I actually really have enjoyed it because it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of like, you know, I, I've worked with – so, yes, we have teams, but they tend to be cross-sending um, organization. Some organizations have enough to make one, but yeah, you absolutely need a team. But it's really cool. Like, I know a lot about OM. I know a lot about the IMB. I know a lot about Frontiers because Pete, that's who I worked with. My mentors are from uh, Frontiers. We worked a lot with IMB. Um, but yes, team is important. Don't 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 go out by yourself. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm sorry for the people online. The question was, um, how does it work for my family? So that's part of the issue with the member care. So I have four kids, and there's this concept called third culture kid. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, I think it's gone really well. Um, they, like, when we were making a transition recently, we said, do you guys want to go back to the U.S.? And they were horrified at the idea. Um, so their home is over there. So... Um, it, my wife is also a, a TCK, so that helps. Um, but yeah, I think it's gone really well. But there are absolutely challenges, and again, I go back to why a sending organization is really well, uh, important because you're going to need people to go alongside you that are ahead of you and behind you to, to help you raise kids overseas. Yes, ma'am. Well, and I think Lebanon's an interesting case study in why you need a sending organization, right? Ten years ago, Lebanon, or the question, I guess, being in Lebanon, so that's, you know, a lot of these countries, I know people that are in Syria ten years ago, they can't believe what happened. So you can, you know, don't get focused on a people group in a country because in my context, I can tell you probably 90% of us are on at least a second country and probably a third of them, even before they went, we're on a second country. I'm on my third country. I mean, I'm still with the same, I'm with kind of, I'm still working in the Muslim world, kind of in unreached, but, I mean, did you have a sending organization? 
Was it really hard? Communication, yeah. And and that's why it's helpful to have people comforting you account, you know. So ascending organizations I'll give you another example. A friend of mine, they were in Egypt for seven years. They went home for Christmas, came back, they're met at the government at the airport, and when they landed, you can't come in. So go over there, buy a ticket and go away. So if they hadn't had a sending organization, they would have been absolutely, it would have been catastrophe. And as it was, they went through a lot of counseling. It was really tough, but they were with Pioneers, and Pioneers was able to walk them through that, and they are still in the field. Stuff like that might happen. Don't go by yourself. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Um, generally not. That, again, might be a question for them. But I think in general, um, they know, like, you know, well, it's interesting. So what it's worth, Saudi Arabia sends, they have like 1,500 people at Valparaiso, which is like a Catholic. Catholic. So the Christian part, kind of like what he references, isn't bad. It's the overt missional stuff. Yes, sir. So my wife is a family medicine doctor, so don't take this bad if you're family medicine. But I think more like, so when I got done with the ER, I was going to do a critical care fellowship, and my we just, we didn't. So I think things, like what we need is we, and I'm not against family medicine, but most medical missionaries are family medicine. We need urologists. We need ENT. Like if you don't know where you are, if you're in medical school, go be a surgeon. Be a surgical subspecialist. Because the thing about it, have you ever heard of a urology missionary? They're not very common. Because, I mean, think about it. A family medicine doctor in the U.S. is turning down $200,000, $250,000 a year. A urologist, they might be turning down a million a year. Orthopedic surgeon. So that would be one thing. The more specialized you are, the more, like, WASTA you, the more influence you have. Like, if you're an orthopedic surgeon... Like, you're going to get, in your Western train, they're going to bring you to the royalty. So that's one thing that I kind of wish I'd done a critical care fellowship. So surgical subspecialties, super popular. You have so much power, so much of this in this honor-based society. Um, we need more interventional cardiologists. So that's one thing. I think the other thing, too, is I was very timid in my proclaiming. And I would kind of just throw it out there and be like, oh, I feel like, but, because it's kind of weird to do. But what I learned was, actually, it's not that hard. And I, so I feel like be, it's okay to speak about Christ. And I think it's even really hard here. Like, try, like the first couple times I did that, I was like, oh, it was really weird. But now, just over time, so I feel like I wish I had been more bold. I feel like I'm better at it now. And I, and I just I wish I had more trust in Christ, that the gospel is you know, worthwhile. So those are kind of the two things. We done or yes, ma'am. Are there opportunities for surgical technicians? Yes. So, oh, absolutely. Allied Health. 
um, hospital administrators. Um, I think the one hospital was like 4,000 openings or something. I mean, like, and this isn't just limited to medicine. There is a worldwide labor shortage of white collar. Like, they, they need our, in our critical thoughts. So, yes, basically, I mean, I knew a respiratory therapist, you know, like, and oftentimes you get family contracts so you can bring your family. Sometimes you don't get a family contract, but what they'll do is they'll allow, like, so, for example, my respiratory therapist friend, he didn't have a family contract, but they gave him a family visa and he just had to, he, it was on his own dime. So very often you can bring your family, too. Yes, ma'am. Are they taking nurses in Saudi Arabia? Yes. There's probably 3,000 openings right now. The more subspecial, again, if you're a nurse, go be a critical care, you know, pick you. Like, again, super subspecialized, that's what they want. Cleveland Clinic has a hospital in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, well, Cleveland Clinic has a hospital in Abu Dhabi. Sidra, which is a fascinating hospital in, in Doha, like, why are we not going to Doha? There are two massive hospitals there that are desperate for pediatric specialty and then uh, um, general. And there's no, there are no Qatari missionaries and there's no Qatari believers. Are they looking at age? So what is it, 62? Uh, I think most of that's in a particular country. Yeah, they do age out. It's visa challenges. Yeah. But other parts of the world are far more flexible. Yeah, and it's country specific. Yeah. That's why I think it's important to talk to Scatter as a first step, because if you're, you know, you're at the point like, I just want to do, I don't know where to begin, or I'm ready for a job, what are the specifics? Well, I've worked uh, 35 years as a nurse, and I thought I was done, and I hear that yeah. you're telling me to go. Yeah, I mean, so, yep, the, they're desperate for help, especially Western <laughs> nursing. Any other questions? Are we done? Oh, yes, sir. So I'm a family doctor, too old to go back and return to the specialist. So a lot of these countries don't necessarily recognize family medicine? Yeah, it is. So, yes, it can be an issue because they're like, are you a pediatrician or an internist? But, um, again, I would talk to these guys in specifics. Um, I know there's openings right now for two consultants or attendings. We call them, they call them at a hospital in UAE right now. So I'm guessing if you wanted, you could probably be there in two months. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend it, but... <laughs> and second part of the question is for a spouse who's not medical, is there, what role do you see in that, in that, in that area of the world for a spouse to be used? Oh, it's... You, I mean, yeah, I can't talk to females. So they can work. They can be sometimes what we call a trailing spouse. They can live. Absolutely, and I, I think in a lot of these places, again, talk to them. There's, they're so desperate. I don't know what your wife does, but like I was just talking to uh, the left, an engineer and a nurse, and you know, like I said, my 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 team leader is an electrical engineer that works for Garmin. Like this idea that, like I said, you know, go get a job. And so I don't know what your wife does, but a lot of times, sometimes I've had this where the medical person is less attractive than the spouse, <laughs> depending on what your wife does. But yes, your wife. Absolutely should come. Your wife probably could find a job, but you know she may not need to if you if you work. But there's absolutely do we need women. It yes, the women thing is a huge deal because we can't get to them. Yes, sir. Uh, what is the positions that you find for dentists in those countries? I, I yeah I would I I um, I know less about dental and I apologize for that. Um, 
But I would imagine that's an issue too. But yeah, um, I mean, the whole world, I mean, to, you know how like, what is it, a third of our physicians and like 25 of our nurses are foreign medical grads? We've been stealing from the rest of the world while the places that have money are trying to do the same thing. They have the same problem. Their population pyramid is opening up. So I can't imagine that there's not a place for you at the table somewhere. Are we done? Are we? Okay. <laughs> I will stay down here if you have more questions. Thank you uh, for listening. God bless in your journey. <laughs>